Hear the word of the Lord from Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. Peace be with you. Good morning, everyone. Um, today we are continuing in, uh, in our study of the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> like I said last week, our time in Hebrews is going to take us all the way to Advent, um, but I anticipate that it will poise us for a glorious Advent and Christmas celebration. In all of its complexity and robusticity, the writer of, of Hebrews writes to us for a very practical reason. He wants us to understand just how much better we have it now that Jesus has come. Jesus is the culmination of all of God's promises. To believe him and to follow him is to believe and follow life and hope themselves. Last week, we looked at the opening verses of Hebrews, which are a, just a breathtaking chorus of Jesus' preeminence and supremacy. And in our text today, the author immediately applies that supremacy to Christ's status above the angels. Um, Incidentally, one of our daughters read my sermon this morning and said, Dad, I don't know why you have to talk so long. Just say, angels good, Jesus better, and walk off stage. <laughs> so that's the end of my sermon this morning. Um, Father, no, I'm <laughs> But the, the, the writer of Hebrews builds the case that Jesus is better by citing and quoting a, a number of passages from the Old Testament, which we will get to in a moment. We'll be doing a few things in our text today. First, we will we'll answer the question, what are angels? And why does the author of Hebrews feel the need to make the case that Jesus is better? But we'll, 
will also pause in a few different places to ask a very sophisticated question, so what? Uh, and not, not so what as in who cares, but so what as in why, why is this important? What does this mean for our lives? What does it mean for the life of the church? What does it mean uh, for our living today? And that's an important question uh, as we read and study the Bible. These, these massive reality claims are made, and we should know that we have the freedom to ask the question, so, so what? It's how we learn to apply everything that is good and true and beautiful to all of life. And as the author of Hebrews stresses, everything that is good and true and beautiful is so because of Christ, our great creator and ruler. So if the author's thesis statement for our verses today is that Jesus is better than angels, then it's good for us to ask first, well, what are angels? Well, according to the scriptures, angels, angels are real, living, supernatural beings. Both the Hebrew and Greek word for angel literally mean messenger. And we see them in that role throughout the Bible. Angels speak on behalf of God to everyone, from Abraham to Moses to Mary to the disciples to Paul. We see angels raising up deliverers, intervening in the world, judging and guiding God's people. Angels are liturgical beings. They are ministering spirits who keep the order of continual worship around the throne of God as we see in books like Isaiah and Revelation. They were even present as God laid the foundations of the earth as divine spectators and worshipers. As the Lord created, the angels were singing. Those are the the good angels. But there are also dark angels, fallen angels, who have ceased to worship God, and the Bible calls them demons. In the book of Daniel, we get a glimpse of this as, as sort of the, the cosmic curtain is, is pulled back, and we see demons directing the affairs of people, especially pagan empires and kingdoms. Demons have been masquerading as gods and meddling in human affairs as early as the Garden of Eden. And as most of us know, Jesus too had his fair share of run-ins and interactions with demons during his earthly ministry. Angels are strange and awesome and terrifying and glorious beings. And they exercise considerable authority in the world. However, though they are powerful and exalted, the scriptures show that they do not compare to how exalted Christ is. Angels bring messages, but they are not the message. They accompany the Messiah, but they are not the deliverer. They were present for creation, but they are not the creator. And the author of Hebrews takes these verses to lay this out because angel worship was a reality in this context. There were some Jews who, who venerated angels based on their role in helping to bring the law to Israel in the Old Testament. So they were giving angels undue regard and glory. 
So, angels were worshipped thousands of years ago. So, so what? Why does this matter? Why is this important? Truthfully, if, if any one of us were to see an angel in all of its glory, we would, we would probably fall down like John in Revelation and worship. We would be tempted to do so. And perhaps angel worship is not as familiar to us or for us today, but just because we might not be tempted to do so is not any reason to think that nobody is. The new age, the new age, which which found its beginning in the late 1970s and continues today, is full of angel worship, specifically demon worship. Perhaps you've heard someone say, you know, I'm, I'm really just more of a spiritual person. Or, you know, I, 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 do, I do see all of the different religions in the world, but, you know, I'm just, I'm, just more, I'm just more spiritual. I'm more interested in spirituality. And we shouldn't think that such a statement is so broad as to not be real or to not mean anything. Paul warns us that demons present themselves as angels of light. And our world is tempted to follow presentations of light and life and love and goodness and energy and freedom. These are all fine words, but questionable when they're not grounded in the truth. Such things will lead people away from Jesus. Even modern faiths like Jehovah's Witnesses expressly teach that Jesus is the archangel Michael, that they are one and the same. Such angel worship might not be as obscure as we think. Also, the same arguments for Jesus' supremacy over angels apply to any other thing that, that we might be tempted to exalt over him. Your very self, you, which is considerably less impressive than an angel, is the most likely being for you to exalt over Christ. So as, as we go on, keep in mind that if Jesus is better than angels, he's certainly better than anyone or anything that we would be tempted to place above him. So that said, let's see how the author of Hebrews proves his case in his first chapter. He gives three reasons that Christ is greater than the angels. Jesus is better than the angels because he is the divine prophet. Jesus is better than the angels because he is the divine priest. Jesus is better than the angels because he is the divine king. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but I'll say it again. Jesus is better than God's angelic messengers because he is both the God who sends the messengers and he is the very substance of that message. As I said last week, Jesus is God's final, perfect, superior speech. In other words, Jesus is the final and perfect prophet of God. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Angels are God's messengers, but Jesus is the message of God. Angels are prophetic, but Jesus is the prophet. 
And so what does Jesus being the divine prophet mean, mean for us? Well, first, at least it means that no one else is. <laughs> but it also means that you don't have to be either. With Christ as the prophet of God, you are freed. All of us are freed from having to search the world over or to look within ourselves to find out what God says and who he really is. Your heart, your emotions, your interior monologue, your self-talk, your reasoning, none of those things have prophetic authority. None of them do. Jesus is the final, full, perfect prophet of God with perfect and absolute prophetic authority. And so there's no need to find your own truth because it's already here. It's Jesus, and he is God's perfect word to all of creation. And so when he calls you, when he calls you beloved, when he calls you known and forgiven and called and redeemed, you can believe that. That is prophetic authority. Jesus is also better than angels because he is the divine priest. Now, greater detail concerning this is going to come later in the letter, but it's introduced here in verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So the job of the high priest of Israel was to make purification for the sins of God's people through sacrificial offerings to God. And the author of Hebrews here is saying that the supremacy of Jesus is proven, proven in his priestly work on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was both perfect priest and perfect sacrifice, taking away the sins of the world through his shed blood. And because Jesus' sacrifice was the final sacrifice, it makes him the final high priest. So the Levitical priesthood is over. Jesus is better than angels because angels can't forgive sin. Angels can't give their life for another. An angel doesn't have blood to shed for you. And why is that important? It means that you can stop hiding from your sin. It means that you can stop trying to work off whatever debt you believe that you owe. You can stop punishing yourself for what he has already paid for. Brothers and sisters, our, our world is desperate for a priest. Desperate. For someone to stand between us and God and make peace. And the very good news of the gospel is that Jesus, that in Jesus, that someone has come. That someone is here. And if we humble ourselves and confess our sins to be cleansed, we can have peace with God, with ourselves, and with one another. I know that some of you right now are trying to fix things by doing everything but that. 
It feels easier to forget the sin than confess it and be washed. Or maybe you believe that you can do some good things, some selfless things to buy a clean conscience. And if that's you, I'm, I'm sure that that's exhausting. It's only Christ's blood that can remove your sin and clothe you in righteousness. It's only Christ's forgiveness that can bring you rest. So Jesus is our divine priest, and when he sat down at the right hand of God the Father, having finished his priestly atonement, he was sitting down on a throne to begin his kingly rule. And that brings us to this last portion. Jesus is better than the angels because he is the divine king. This is the true mega theme of the book of Hebrews. In this chapter alone, the author quotes seven Old Testament passages and five of them tell that Christ will rule as king over all creation. God has promised the whole world to his son as an inheritance. And this is really where the author gets into the proof of what he is laying out. So we're gonna look at this in a little bit more detail. Verse five. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? And it's a great rhetorical question. The answer, though, is none. God has never said this to any of the angels. But he does say that of Jesus. This is taken from Psalm 2, verse 7. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And this, this begetting of the Son in Psalm 2 is not the eternal begetting that we see in John's gospel, but the begetting from the dead that Paul mentions in Colossians. In other words, Christ is the Son of God, firstborn from the dead. And what does that begetting result in? What is that, why is that important? because it means that the global inheritance and rule of all things belongs to Jesus. Psalm 2.8 follows with this. Ask me, ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. It's astounding to think that, that Psalm 2, which was written, written well before Christ, was foretelling about the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the global reign of Christ over the nations. In verse five, the author asks, to which of the angels did God ever say, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son? Again, great rhetorical question, and the answer is none. This quote from 2 Samuel refers to God's promise to David that his offspring will reign forever. And this means that Jesus is not just king, he is the promised Davidic king who fulfills all of God's promises to David and to his people. Verse six, and again when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him, which is a direct quote from Deuteronomy 32. As the Davidic king, Jesus is the one who receives angelic worship, which clearly makes him superior to the angels. Angels tell mankind to worship God, and God tells the angels to worship his son. 
Jesus is better than the angels who minister around the throne because he is the one who is seated on the throne. Verse 7 quotes Psalm 104 to remind us of what angels are. They are winds. They are flames of fire. They are his ministers doing Christ's bidding, bringing him glory, and serving us, Christ's bride, the church. As verse 14 says. The author then quotes from Psalm 45 and Psalm 102. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. See, Jesus' rule isn't a human rule. It isn't, even, it isn't just even a Davidic rule. It is a divine rule. He is the divine king, and his rule is marked with the oil of gladness. He perfectly rules from his throne now and forever. And finally in verse 13, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Again, great question, and the answer is none. This comes from Psalm 110, which is the most quoted psalm in the Bible, and what both authors are agreeing upon is that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high, ruling until every enemy, including death, is brought under his feet. Jesus is king. He is ruling until every enemy is conquered. So what? Why is that important? What does that mean for our world? Brothers and sisters, it means that we should, we should look to see his ruling and his reigning everywhere and live and act accordingly. Sojourn, Jesus doesn't just want to be the king of your heart. He is the king of all the world, the entire creation, the cosmos. There's a popular worship song whose lyrics read, let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. And that's fine. Because it is true, Jesus is the king of your heart, and may he also be the king of every part of your body, your mind, your soul. May he rule every corner of your life. But may we also look out even into the world, every sector of our city, our neighborhood, and declare, and he's king there. And he's king there. And he's king there. 
and he's already king there. It may not always feel like it or look like it, but that doesn't make it any less true. Jesus is, Jesus is the king of HISD. Jesus, he is the king over the next presidential election. He is king over Russia and Ukraine. He is king over all those reported flying objects that keep popping up. He is king over every month of our year. He's king over AI. And because Jesus is the cosmic ruling king, right now, we should not be intimidated. We should not be afraid to hold fast to him, living in obedience and pursuing the task that our good God has given us. Things like the Great Commission. Loving and serving and discipling our neighbors and our families and our city into Christ's kingdom is not an impossible task. In fact, according to our king, ultimate failure is impossible. Hasn't God said he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet? Hasn't God said to the son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool? And Psalm 2 applies all of this. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Sojourn, Jesus is better than the angels. He is our divine prophet, priest, and king. He rules forever in gladness. So what? So take refuge in him. Take refuge in him, for all who do so are safe and are called blessed. Pray with me. Holy and gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you from, for the, this text from Hebrews. Lord, your word to us today. Lord, we see that you are exalted above all creation that we can see. And here we see that you're exalted above all creation that we can't. You are the message. You are the deliverer. You are the redeemer, you are the creator, you are the ruler, you are the purifier. And so, Lord, we long, Lord, we long to see you as such, to exalt you over every single thing, over every single one, seated at the right hand of the Father, but exactly where you are and exactly where you belong. Lord, will you form us and shape us by this reality? Will you make us even more, Lord, dedicated worshipers of you? Would you make us even more, Lord, holding fast to the confession of our faith and following you and believing you 
for all of life and for all of our lives. Lord, we need you and we love you. Please have your way in this church and within each of us, we pray and we ask all of these things in your name. Amen.